Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here again joined with Rachel Madel. Welcome back, Rachel. Thanks, Chris. It's been a while. You know how much we've missed you. Uh, the last two episodes, um, you were out trekking uh, out in a totally different culture and a totally different country. People have been waiting to hear about it. I know I've been waiting to hear about it. You and I have not really talked about it at all. So tell us about your experience in Nepal. Oh, it was, it was amazing. So I spent the first few days working with the Autism Society of Nepal and doing a, tra I did a training for them, their staff and their teachers, and then worked in their classrooms a little bit and helped to implement. And it was really, really wonderful. I ended up being there at um, a time where they had just started a religious festival. So the last day I was at the school, um, they have a festival called Tihar, which is a festival of light that lasts for five days. And it was awesome because I got to truly experience the festival, their culture. They included me in on everything. They gave me a little tikka, which is that like red paint in between like your eyebrows on your forehead, um, which is a blessing. I got to eat delicious food and sing songs and dance and all these really cool things. So I was really excited about that. And I felt like I got a true taste of Nepal. So what was the, uh, the presentation like and the interactions with people who are using AAC or attempting to teach kids who are using AAC? What's that whole thing like? Whenever I do these trips abroad and work with organizations, I try the best I can to get a lot of information beforehand you know, what are you currently utilizing for communication for these students? What are areas of need? And it's always really challenging because you don't know until you, you, you know, and you don't know until you're there. And so I had a very similar experience. I started off my time there with the training. And of course, I was talking about AAC, uh, how to implement the things that we talk a lot about on this podcast, trying to be sensitive to not exactly knowing where they were. Um, and when I say that, I mean, what kinds of supports are they already using in the classroom? What are the levels of the students? Some of the students had, you know, verbal speech, others were completely, you know, nonverbal and not using speech. So it was really hard to kind of gauge. So I did the training and, of course, talked about high-tech AAC, but I also felt like I didn't want to dive too deep into that because I didn't know if they even had access to technology. So anyway, I did the training and then I went into their classrooms, which I've done in similar situations and it's been fine. But when I went into their classrooms, I realized, oh, man, I should have been focusing on a lot of other things in my presentation and my training than I was. So when I went into the classrooms, there was actually a lot of visual supports for transitions. There were visual supports for the different items in the classroom. I'm being honest, there weren't a lot of things in the classroom. So um, it was quite empty compared to the classrooms that I'm used to, you know, in Los Angeles. But they were utilizing a lot of visual supports. There was not a lot of communication happening in the classrooms though, which, you know, happens when I go into classrooms here too. But if I could go back and do the training again, I would have focused a lot more on just general speech and language strategies and less on the AAC. So you're saying that you need to really start with kind of basic uh, speech language principles in the classroom before you can get to AAC. So for instance, like what? So just 
even the opportunities for communication. Because a lot of what I was seeing was, we're gonna help the students transition between activities and sit and listen, but there were no real communication opportunities for the students. So there were no choice making, for example. They were doing a coloring activity and it would have been a perfect opportunity to say, do you want the red crown or do you want the blue crown? Um, so, you know, just thinking about how we can incorporate more communication. At one point, one of the teachers brought up bubbles. And I thought, ooh, this is my chance. So I said, like, would you mind if I like stepped in and showed you what I might do in a situation like this? And they were like, of course. And so the kids were really excited about the bubbles. Um, one of the students had some verbal speech and I utilized um, a my turn, your turn visual like cue cards. Mm -hmm. And I was helping him say like my turn because of course everybody was grabbing at the bubbles. Mm -hmm. And naturally that's what kids do when you bring bubbles out. And so I showed them, you know, oh, you can tell me my turn. And so it was just like having the visual cue out, touching it, showing, and then the child started saying my turn, which was really exciting. And there were a few other opportunities where I was able to kind of go in and show um, instead of just kind of teaching. I will say, I wish I had more time because I think that it's really hard to dive into a classroom that you've never been in with students that you don't know with teachers that you don't know that well and start telling them what to do i wish i would have had more time to just observe and so i it was this very like uncomfortable situation where i didn't know how much to teach and how much to just like hold back and so what i ended up doing was taking a lot of notes and then afterwards just presenting to the director you know i'm going to send you a list of recommendations and strategies i'm going to send you a bunch of resources um, and visual supports and all these things and you guys can decide you know when you start implementing them and i'm happy to check in with you via skype or zoom to talk through it with you but um, these are some opportunities where i think we could really start integrating some language and some communication Rachel, I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face because the whole time I'm thinking, it doesn't really sound like you're talking about Nepal. <laughs> you, you could be talking about a school district anywhere where you know, you're going in and you're trying to change what's happening in that classroom. And it may, it's a good strategy to watch and collect notes and then to give that information back with a, tons of resources and stuff. But then somehow, and I guess this would be where it is different, is that you know, something that's local you could do some sort of more ongoing coaching uh, that isn't just like we are now doing video conferencing. You could actually go in and be like, watch me do this with a kid. And then now you try it while I, while I coach you through it. And so the difference would be that if I'm hearing it correctly, would be you can't go back to Nepal as quickly. <laughs> I mean, no. although they were like, when are you coming back? <laughs> and I was like, as soon as possible. <laughs> I actually love Nepal. I hardly ever, I travel a lot. I've been all over the world. I hardly ever find a place that I want to go back to. I'm always like, well, why would I go back somewhere when I could see somewhere new? Yeah. Nepal is a place that I absolutely want to go back to. Mm. Um, so I just had an amazing experience there. And it was interesting. I have to admit, if I'm being completely honest, after the training, after my time with the Autism Society was done, I felt conflicted. I felt like while I had an amazing experience, I had this sense of, I wish I could have done more and I wish I could have done better. I mean, obviously they were very thankful for all of the support that I gave and 
I think I did the best that I could given the situation, but I just think back and I think, ah, I wish I could have made more of an impact. And I think that I was trying to compare all the different experiences I've had with different organizations abroad. And I think the difference was this organization does not have consistent speech therapy coming in. And so with other organizations, they kind of already had that foundation, that fundamental understanding of, you know, here's this student, here's what they're working on with a speech therapist. And this organization doesn't have that. Um, so it's, it was, it was really challenging because I wanted to teach all these things, but I couldn't skip ahead, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't skip ahead to high tech AAC. I couldn't even really skip ahead to picture exchange or anything even low tech because there was no foundation of here's an opportunity just for communication. Mm -hmm. Well, and I wonder even if it's if it's not thinking of it as skipping ahead so much is that if they don't have opportunity to use those tools, then you wouldn't integrate them at all. Like, do you think of it as like a precursor thing or you just do it together? Do you know what I mean? I could see somebody, I guess what I'm getting at is I could see somebody that has uh, high tech AAC or has PECs already, the tools there, and they still don't have those fundamental things. So you could do it in conjunction, right? Definitely. I think I did do that. I did. I had some low tech supports and I showed them because for students who have no verbal speech, I mean, you really need AAC as far as communication is concerned. Otherwise, what do they have? Um, so that was that was great. I was able to show the strategy, the communication strategy and then how I would implement it using some type of AAC. What's interesting is that and I told you this kind of before we actually hopped on today, I like have referenced it a few times, but we always talk about robust language and high tech AAC being, you know, what we need to aspire to for all of the students that we work with. And I still believe that, but I've never been in a situation where I felt more strongly that they needed low tech AAC. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because they didn't have the infrastructure for high tech. They didn't have even the chargers that they needed. So let me back up a little bit. I Before I left for this trip, I posted on social media about people donating older generation iPads and tablets to me because in the past, when I've worked with other organizations, I've taken a few uh, devices to set children up who are great candidates for high-tech AAC with some type of system. And so I took some iPads to Nepal and... I didn't end up, I ended up donating some of them to the classroom um, just for reinforcers for a few different apps that um, some companies have been generous enough to donate, but I did not set up any child with a high tech speech generating device. And it was interesting because I've never had that feeling before. I've never felt like, no, no, not high tech AAC. <laughs> um, so it was just really interesting for me professionally because I had to completely think through everything that I was teaching because, and that's why I think I want to go back and redo the training because I would have focused less on the high tech. I would have focused more on the low tech. And then I would have kept reiterating the language strategies, which I did go over, but I feel like I almost skimmed over them as if I assumed that everybody already understood them and used them. And so anyway, it was, it was a really great experience. It was professionally very challenging for me, which is part of the reason I do this, right? Like I love giving back. I love the idea of spreading AAC, not just here in the United States, but also abroad. But I also do it because it's always a challenge. I need to figure out what's going on with a 
specific organization, what's going on culturally that's different. There's always language barriers, which we can have in a whole other conversation about <laughs> the language barrier aspect of um, going in and teaching how to support communication when a lot of children don't speak English. A lot of the paraprofessionals and the teachers didn't speak great English. So it was quite interesting all around. It sounds fascinating. It really does. I mean, when you're talking about uh, low tech and high tech and how it's kind of, you know, shaping your thought process about this and, and how you would go back and reflecting back on doing that presentation differently. One of the things that comes to mind, and I think this is the message we're sending with this podcast, is that there's some things that transverse the, or transcend, mm -hmm. transcend, um, maybe it's both transcend and transverse the, the tool, right? Uh, certain strategies you might use. Um, and I think the message that we're trying to send is that, again, if I'm hearing you correctly, like you would still advocate for a high-tech AAC, just not in this country necessarily because they don't have the infrastructure or a, a universally in this country because not every place has the infrastructure that, say, a school in Los Angeles has, <laughs> right? Um, or a school in Virginia might have. And I think we're also saying, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but every AAC user that I've ever met uses a, a combination of low tech and high tech. Do you know what I mean? Except for maybe in countries that don't have access to the high tech, in which case then what other choice do you have but low tech, right? Yep, exactly. So all in all, it was a really interesting experience. I'm really happy that I had it and I am excited that I'm able to share and, and learn and grow. The next time I go abroad, I've already thought like, how am I going to do things differently? And I think that I'm definitely going to have more low tech options to trial and show. So I'm just envisioning, you know, some type of picture or photograph of water, things that are universal, right? Like water, bubbles, all these things that no matter where I go, they're motivating for kids or necessary for kids. Eat, go, all these like, you know, simple words and teaching more about just like utilizing those visual supports and having more of those visual supports to share. Because of course I talked a lot about core words, but I thought we're not even really at a place where core words make sense at this point. Um, you know, I did give, I have a resource, it's called Core Word Choices, and it's a really great resource actually for emergent communicators and just getting started with core words. So we talk a lot about core word teaching and using contrastive core words. So like go and stop, on and off, in and out. And so I brought that, which was really helpful. And I said, you know, maybe it's like you take one of these resources and for the month, you're focusing on in and out. You're focusing on stop and go um, in, in, in Nepalese or Nepali um, and English, whatever, you know, whatever you think makes sense. But um, it was just, it was so interesting. Like the whole thing, I'm just like, I thought so much about it. The good thing is I had like a 38 hour journey home to just like think about all these things. But yeah, it was a great experience and I'm really happy that I was able to do it and I was able to learn and grow as a clinician. So it's funny you say all of that because um, while you were off in Nepal, Nicole Bender came to visit here in the United States. Now, Nicole Bender is a, she's not a speech therapist, but she works with speech therapists and she's a, she's a teacher that works in Thailand. And uh, she floats in AAC circles. You may have seen her posting in different um, online groups. I know certainly how I've, uh, her and I have had correspondence before. And she actually got to come to my house and we got to hang out a little bit. She 
she spent some time together. And she echoes what you were saying about she has developed, a, in conjunction with the speech therapist there and the teachers there in Thailand, sort of a universal core board that is low-tech. She tells all the, the story about how, how high-tech came about there, but it's not used at all, really the way it's used here, you know, in the United States. Mm -hmm. So having some sort of a core board, but then, like you said, getting to the fundamentals of, well, how do you implement something like that so that um, you're really just teaching opportunities to even provide communication opportunities, right? That's something she also touches upon. So, and so this whole episode is really all about, like, I, maybe I'm thinking of it like a, a, one of our international episodes where you have your experience and then we get to talk to Nicole. Well, what's really interesting is, so I know Nicole Bender through online channels as well, and she is fantastic. I love seeing her post. She's so passionate about AAC. What's really funny and ironic is that one of my layovers was in Bangkok, and I've been to Thailand before. Um, it was actually the worst layover ever because, so after my trip to Nepal, I spent some time, after the Autism Society, I spent some time doing amazing trekking in the Himalayas. It was so beautiful. Um, every morning I'd have like a vista of the Himalayas in, in the background while I ate breakfast. Um, but then I had the opportunity to go to Bhutan and for those who don't know, Bhutan is a country that is quite hard to get to, both geographically, it's like sandwiched in between mountains, and it's one of the deadliest flights. There's only, I forget what the number is, I think there's only seven pilots who are cleared to land a plane in Bhutan because of the way that it has to like maneuver through these mountains. Like, I'm not kidding you, you're, you're flying and then the plane has to go completely sideways for like half of the landing. And then like at the last minute, it like goes straight again. It's really intense. <laughs> it's really cool. But anyway, it's both geographically hard to get to. And it's also a lot, it's, it's quite expensive. So to be a tourist in Bhutan, you have to be with a guide at all times. And you have to pay 250 US dollars a day as a tourist to get a visa there. So I went for like 48 hours. <laughs> I went like for so like such a short time. Um, but I had no real power in when I went and when I left because again, you can't really book flights. It's not the kind of thing where you say, I'm going to Bhutan, I'm gonna book this flight. So anyway, they booked me a flight back um, home, but I had to stop in Bangkok. And it was a 10 hour layover, which was just terrible. Yes. So I thought that I was going to um, get a hotel. There's this beautiful hotel in the, bank, the Bangkok airport. And then of course, I realized at the last minute that I had to go get my bag. So my bag went through customs. I had to go through customs. I had to get my bag. And then I realized that the hotel was in the terminal. So I wasn't able to get back in until three hours before my flight. Long story short, I spent like time in the Bangkok airport in that like weird no man's land where you can't check in for your flight. And like, I couldn't actually leave. So I got like a, a two hour massage. I like all the best, like Thai cuisine. Um, so anyway, it's funny because I was thinking about Nicole Bender because I know she's in Thailand and um, I was just in Thailand for 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing the coincidences. I know. Anyway, I had an amazing experience, and I'm really excited to now listen to the interview you did with Nicole Bender. Okay. 
Welcome to Talking With Tech. This is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here today all the way from sunny Thailand, Nicole Bender. How's it going, Nicole? Good, good. It's chilly here in where am I? State of Miami. I'm in Virginia. <laughs> you are in the state of confusion. I can imagine from traveling all over the place. Um, yeah, we are in the state of Virginia, and let's tell people where we are right now. So um, you're not in the closet where I typically record, but you are in my house. You're at my kitchen table right now. I set up the little microphone here in front of us. You're here live, face to face. I didn't get to fly to Thailand to have this interview, and we're not doing it over uh, Zoom or any sort of video conferencing. You're actually here, face to face. So let's talk about that. Who are you and what do you do? Okay. So, um, yes, I am Nicole and I live in Thailand. I've been there now for six years, but my background is actually with folks with developmental disabilities. So I grew up in Maryland, born in upstate New York, but goodness, lived in Maryland from two on at 13, started, um, volunteering at a state residential center for folks with developmental disabilities, had to do some community service hours, um, and really, that was my niche. That was where I was supposed to be. And you fell in love with it there. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. And um, I often, like, my people, you know, and just, and continued there, like, in different volunteer positions through high school, um, went to university, took a little break from university, came back and worked in the adult day program at the State Residential Center, then went back to university. Um, my degree is rehabilitation services, but I always had a focus on folks with um, developmental disabilities, particularly with assistive technology, um, communication, and then alternate access to mobility. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, so I was with um, the Developmental Disabilities Administration of Maryland for 15 years before I left to go to Thailand. Left to go to Thailand. Yeah. So let's talk about that because that's sort of a very unique situation. There's not a lot of people that, that, that go to work with people with developmental disabilities in Thailand. So can you talk a little bit about that experience? How did you end up there and what do you do there and where do you live and work and what the whole thing? <laughs> sure. So, um, so my life in, in Maryland and in the U.S. also involved being a mom. So um, I was the mom to a little girl, Tyra, who had um, complex communication needs in addition to what we had believed was cerebral palsy, but in fact was a metabolic disorder. Um, I met Tyra at the State Residential Center. She was nine months. I was 21. Um, we became a family, which was a blessing. Yeah, and, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, had 16 years together had access to wonderful resources, you know, the best of the best type thing um, with both communication and, and mobility. Um, at 16, Tyra became quite ill. So prior to that, she'd been healthy enough um, and then um, passed away at 17. And a couple years after that, I was still working for the system and just thought, eh, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, and realized too, like how much we had you know, not here only, in the States, you mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Not only our family, but folks that I supported, you know, just the resources, the tools and thought, gosh, what's it, what's it got to be like for families, you know, and don't have places. access. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, so how did you end up in Thailand? Cause there's a lots of different countries that have that sort of need. Yeah. Thank Google. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I had an interest in, um, like Southeast Asia in like mindfulness type practice. So I did a Google search, Southeast Asia, children with disabilities and came upon an organization in Bangkok. 
and thought, oh yeah, I could do that. <laughs> so, and it was, and I was looking for a Thai-based organization. I wasn't looking to work with a foreign organization. Um, oh, I was looking for a, an in-country organization. So I wasn't even looking for Thailand initially. Gotcha. But when I found Thailand, I was like, oh yeah, this is a locally um, operated, locally run organization. Was ready to go. My family intervened and said, "You think you want to visit?" <laughs> so I did. I did a month visit. Um, Just go try it out. See what it is for a month. See right. if this is a place that is actually viable that you'd right. want to spend some time. Right. And six and, years later, you're still there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back, settled things out, um, left my job, put things in storage. Um, said three to five years. I've been there six. <laughs> I'm back now to get things out of storage and to stay. My family doesn't know this yet, like <laughs> um, indefinitely. Uh-huh. Yeah. You have no plans necessarily. Just coming back to visit, but you're yes. thinking you're going to be there for the long haul. Yeah, between us. Yeah, yeah. We won't tell anyone else. <laughs> Except the whole world who listens right. to this podcast. Um, Okay, well, great. So where are you located in Thailand? Yeah. Only because um, the reason I asked very selfishly is that uh, some people might know this, but we've had an exchange student in the past. I have a daughter who, um, you know, an exchange student daughter named Poppy who uh, lived in or lives in currently goes She's back now uh, in Bangkok. So I'm familiar with the geography of where Bangkok is and where her family is uh, down in the southern part of the uh, of the of the country. But you're in the northern part somewhere. I am. So I spent my first three years in Bangkok um, at a school for children with intellectual disabilities that was operated by a Thai foundation, and then was invited to join a team in the north um, that's operated under the Ministry of um, Public Health. So it's a children's institute developmental center. Um, so I've been there for three years. So I'm in Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai, Thailand. We are about an hour south of the soccer team that got stuck in the cave. Okay. So yes. Oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's Chiang Rai. So Chiang Rai is where the soccer team was. Chiang Mai is where I am. Okay. Okay. And so you now you say you work, can you describe where you work and what that's like? Sure. So the actual building is called the piano building. So I, I work in a building that's shaped like a grand piano. You showed me a picture. It's actually a, like a big white piano. It's, it is. Um, but the, the institution is, um, called the Ratchanakarinda Institute for Child Development. Um, it began as the Northern Child Developmental Center, um, operated again under the Ministry of Public Health, the Department of Mental Health. Um, it's so in the north, it serves the upper nine provinces, but we get children from throughout the region. Um, we get children from Bangkok because there are some specialty services operated by the Institute. Um, they're doing really good work. Um, they have, um, inpatient. So inpatient is a developmental program, like early intervention, I guess we would call it. Um, children come in and they come with their families and the family member has to stay. Okay. So that's really a plus. How long is that? Is a typical stay? About two, two weeks. Um, so children with, um, complex physical needs, they come once every three months for two weeks and then they go home and then they come back. So they're kind of, it tends to be the same group that comes in children um, with other needs, children with autism spectrum, um, they come in more frequently um, on differing schedules. So the physician orders, orders the inpatient plan. And then there's outpatient services. So 
outpatient includes, and the, the children and inpatient access these services as well, but there's OT, PT, speech, drama, optic music, um, hydrotherapy, um, they have a snooze lens, sensory integration, they have floor time. Um, I'm the AAC clinic is operated under the Autism Research Center. Okay. Even though it's not all autism. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I'm very fortunate to work um, with a developmental pediatrician who's um, really a, a leading leading person in the field there in Thailand. So um, she's developed a Thai diagnostic autism scale tailored for Thai children. And they were doing really good work with like PECs. They were doing a lot of PECs uh -huh. um, and then some things with teach, mm -hmm. um, but they wanted to expand. And so it, um, I had come up to do a training with another group of people from Bangkok, met the nurse that was doing PECs. She introduced me to the the doctor that runs the clinic, she introduced me to the director, and then it's been really nice. And that was like three years ago. Right. I've been working there for three years. Right. Yeah. So I spent six months back and forth between Bangkok and Chiang Mai, just kind of feeling out like, how could I help them? You know, could I help them? And then them figuring out like, do we want you here? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's because it's, you know, a yeah. different environment and it was different than what I'd been doing um, in the school setting as opposed to in a clinical setting. Um, and kind of we worked out like, oh, well, based on my observation, maybe I could help you all develop this, you know, and you guys are doing this. You know, what do you need? And and so they invited me to join. And then in January of 2017, they wrote the formal plan and the clinic was officially opened. So it's the first of its kind. Wow, that yeah. is amazing. That is amazing. So let's talk about AAC then. Right. So what does that look like in that in that air part of the world? Right. Well, and again, Thailand, so we're emerging with AAC, but we're not like a developing country by any means. Um, there are people doing wonderful work and there's technology available. What's what I've noticed, my observation has been um, things get developed but implementation isn't happening. So there's actually been research done on developing um, a Thai men speak system. Mm -hmm. um, there's a national technology and computer team under the, the princess. So it's a royal project who's doing amazing work. And again, with development, so there's um, research base, but things fall short with implementation. Sure, that actually doesn't sound very atypical. Meaning, um, I think, here in the States, uh, a lot of clinicians might be shaking their head going, yeah, right, we get the stuff and sometimes we can get a tool and then it goes and sits on a shelf or it's like, well, the speech therapist is coming quick, grab that thing off the shelf and use it. So implementation is probably our biggest struggle right. as well. I mean, I, I, would, I would imagine most people would agree with that. You know, I'm sure there's barriers of getting tools too, but sometimes you can, and even in low tech, you can make the stuff sometimes, but it's the implementation that is the struggle. Um, so what kind of stuff do you use though? Like you said, if there's, um, like a low tech board, what kind of, what kind of things have you, have, do you put in place? Right. We'll start there and then we'll talk about implementation. <laughs> so we've, um, we've created a lot of, so we use a lot of light tech systems. Um, we have a pretty solid, core vocabulary board that's used within the institute. So it's a 63 location board. It was based on the research done 
in developing the time and speak, and then really some informal language sampling, um, parent feedback, um, teacher feedback when I was at the school in Bangkok. And then um, we have some words that are pretty specific to kind of things that happen at the center. Um, and so there's a word, there's a high frequency words within our environment. Can so, you give like an example? For so um, pick up, put in. Huh. So there's a lot of, um, you know, fine motor tasks and things like that within the early intervention developmental. So those, I was hearing those all the time. And I kind of have an ear for core vocabulary because I'm a second language learner. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, wait, you say that all the time. So, yeah. Um, but it's been it's worked well that that system um, for children who have direct for children who do direct selection we tend to use that in kind of a flip folder that has the extended vocabulary. Fringe doesn't translate well in Thai. Fringe translates to like the stuff on the bottom of a curtain. You mean the, the word itself? <laughs> the word fringe. fringe. That's why you call it extended. Extended, right? Okay. Right. <laughs> so, um, so I catch myself every now and then. So um, so we have you know it's been a categorical based um, type setup. And then for children that have um, alternate access needs, we work on some part, well, quite a bit of partner-assisted scanning, uh-huh. and it's very customized, very customized. So a lot of time is spent, you know, working with the family and observing the child. And have you noticed any um, cultural differences, you know, about maybe how someone would implement or select the AAC in Thailand versus here in the states or really anywhere else? So, um, again, my observation is um, Thai children aren't expected to initiate. Typically developing Thai children aren't expected to initiate. And, um, and we often talk about, you know, AAC users and initiation and how. So it's kind of a double. It's an extra because it's not typical. Or um, adults. You know, you can be in a room of adults, educated folks, and if there's someone of a higher status, the other person, well-educated, well-spoken, isn't going to perhaps initiate. So culturally, that kind of... Gotcha. So when you say initiate, so I grew up in a family that was... um, my own family, right? It was uh, the phrase was children should be seen and not heard, right? Um, which is a, a joke, right? Yeah. But um, that sort of sounds like that. That's it. Is that you know we wait until we talk to you, right? Yeah. You're not don't speak until you're spoken to type yes. thing, <laughs> and then it's like a very quick. And um, there is some um, appearance can can be quite a factor um and thing and wanting to um present well and parents wanting their children to present well so um children aren't really allowed to make mistakes uh, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of kind of like get it right the first time right <laughs> right and not that the children are scolded but sure. it's just that the parents will like intervene the parent will jump in or there's just like like wait time yeah no yeah um things like that so um I think we see that in the States here too, you know, um, uh, the, the, the phenomenon of, of say so-and-so, say so-and-so, say so-and-so, you like yeah. to, to show off that, look, yeah. my child knows some words, you know, yeah. where, and then a kid usually clams up there and doesn't want to perform. Right. It's when you have some sort of fun, engaging activity that they emerge and then they start to say stuff. Well, those are interesting, you know, observations. Uh, so 
let's talk about the implementation then, um, because you have the core board. Um, let's talk about that first. The, the core board that you use, like you said, the 63 locations, um, how is that designed? You said it's after the, the kind of the MinSpeak research, but are there any sort of differences right. you said? But it's, um, but there's single, there's single meaning symbols. So the, the it's research, not sequence. right, right. So the, the, the language itself, the vocabulary that's used is based on the research. And that, um, speaking of culturally, some of the symbols, so we currently use open symbols, so open source materials to create our, to create our boards and, and other materials. So we have song boards and some activity-based displays, and we load those on the website so they're freely available. Uh -huh. So we use open source, but we've had to adapt some symbols to make them culturally appropriate because some things are just impolite. Uh -huh. for, so for instance? So there's a couple. So um, to take a break. So to take a break, the symbol you typically you'd see is someone with their feet up uh -huh. on a table or on a chair. Oh, no. That would never fly. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, feet are the lowest part of your body, and you don't point your feet at people, and you certainly don't put your feet up on the... Yeah, so that was a big no. So um, we adjusted that one. And then the other is the um, the symbol we would often think of for come here, you know, with the upward-facing... Right, right. And and I just realized like I never see people doing that. Like we do a downward so I'm showing you, but you could probably explain it. Uh-huh. <laughs> your wrist is down right. and you're wiggling your fingers or you're wiggling you, Right towards you. Towards you. So um it's kind of like a come here type move. And um and I asked someone, like, I never see anybody doing this other and they were like, Oh yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just yeah, we don't um beckon people in that way. In that way. Um, and while I can, you know, we, we do trainings with families and, and with implementation, we talk about like iconicity and, you know, the stop sign is the stop sign wherever you go. And it's how you, you know, put the language on the symbol. That's what matters and how you're using it. But communication partners, iconicity matters. Mm -hmm. And culturally, you need to be appropriate to if you want things to be used, you don't want that to be the hindrance because I've run into that. Well, this doesn't look like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so let's talk about implementation so, yeah. for, for, for a little bit here. So, uh, like we said, it's one of the big barriers that we have as well. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do nationwide here is have more communication partners, uh, use the AAC tools. And do you find that consistent? Right. So the need for, I've often said, and, and when I was here, you're only as successful as the people supporting you. Yeah. You know, it's never about the user. Usually it's about who's in, who's on their side, who's on their team. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, getting that buy-in and having people be comfortable, you know, when I came in, there was, okay, we should have, we should be doing core. And it was like, this is not parents are not comfortable because I'm working with parents now. And so using songboards, you know, getting parents comfortable with pointing to pictures while engaged in an activity with their child. Okay. Give me the elephant song, you know, uh -huh. it's a very pop. And, and so we started there. So actually we, we started with core and then we came back 
you know, to activity-based displays, to a lot of visual supports within the environment and getting people used to seeing symbols. So, uh, so I'm picturing this, I'm picturing like a room full of parents with their child and I'm picturing them, okay, we're all going to sing a song together and watch as I point to these very specific words. They get used to doing that while they're singing a song and then you just swap out the words. Okay, instead of using this board, let's use this board. Does that sound about right? About, well, we add it. So we, so we'd start with the song, which was very, you know, symbolic. And then we'd add things like louder, quieter, faster, slower, same, different, you know? Um, so then we'd add some of those words to the board and then, um, doing the training on core and, and using tools. And we're really fortunate, like we don't have to reinvent things, you mm-hmm. know, people here, people in Australia, people, you know, people throughout the world have created great resources. So we just kind of pick and choose what'll work for our environment. Uh-huh. You had mentioned uh, earlier when we were, we were chatting off the podcast, how you got stuff from set BC, right? right. Uh, what was it from there? Right. Wasn't it? The, um, well, we've used things from um, scope Scope in Australia had mm-hmm. a, a song a song activity, but then um, Saltillo. So the oh, Saltillo right. chat corner, the choosing activity first, core vocabulary choosing activity first. I think I just got that wrong. Um, that's been an amazing. Can you describe resource. that if people haven't seen that? What sure, is that? Sure, sure. So, um, so the fam, the so the activity is in the center. Um, it's like a graphic organizer. It so is. Can... And it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed the thing should be pretty? Um, so, and pretty is actually a core. It's a Thai core vocabulary word. Is it? Be- beautiful. Soy is a, is a core word. It's used often. Because it's, culturally that's important. Well, and it's almost used, um, as like, I mean, we have like on the board as well, but it's similar to like, so it's not just like about people being pretty. It's about like the object is pretty, the, this is pretty, the, so it's used quite often. And by pretty, you mean like aesthetically pleasing, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this, um, it is choosing core vocabulary activity first approach by Saltillo is aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it has, you know, your, um, your motivating activity We're we're doing, um, more with preference assessments with kids. Um, when they come in, we go through kind of an um, interest, you know, inventory yeah. and cause that's what we talk about, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then going through, you know, what are some questions we would ask about that? What are the, you know, negating words? What are words for a reoccurrence? So this, um, this nice map. little visual, yeah. right. Map has been helpful with that. Uh-huh. So in the center, you might put the, the activity that you're using, like for the one we're, we're looking at one right now, people, <laughs> um, and it says bubbles in the right. middle, but then all around the outside, there are different things that are related to bubbles, right? right. Like describing words, questions. So describing words, big, little, wet, round, up, down. Mm-hmm. And then when you fill this out, then this becomes, uh, you give it to the parents or how does it work? Actually, we've, we have the parents. So we're, um, part of our annual budget is we include parent training. So formal, so we do parent training throughout intervention with children, but then we have formal parent training and this has become a key piece of the formal parent training. So we kind of do an AAC overview. We do a core vocabulary overview, talk about like why these words and then, before lunch, ask the parents to think of the activity their child likes the most, have them fill in the middle, 
go to lunch with their core board uh-huh. and then fill in the rest. Yeah, that makes so much and sense. And then we come back and, and do it together. Uh-huh. In, in this way that they're filling it out and they're kind of uh, reasoning through what words should go on. Right. Yeah, that right. makes so much sense. It's worked. It's uh-huh. I've seen it, um, you know, because, and again, it's things they're familiar with. So yeah. having like an arbitrary activity that occurs in the clinic office not so yeah. much. They're not going to reproduce that when they right, go back home. Right. Um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about future plans. Okay. What, what's it, what's upcoming next for you? I mean, you're here now in the States, um, like I said, doing some cleaning out the storage closets, right? And then you're, you're going to head back. What happens next? Right. So we're looking at um, doing some research um, and creating, we're ca- it's called, we're calling it curriculum. So uh, parent training curriculum for implementation Again, using um, things that have, that have been out there and that have been proven in, the, in regards to aided language input, partner augmented input. But having that, um, not sure, and the, the project itself will be the development of that. So I'm not sure what it's going to look like. So um, it'll involve, you know, literature review and meeting together with um, a team of professionals and, and developing something that'll work for our families. Gotcha. Do you have any idea what that might be? I mean, because you've been kind of well-versed in this for a while. So there's literature review, but then there's like, well, I know which literature to already to read. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, we already had that together. Um, so hoping to have some, some video modules because, um, so the, the queue for services is quite long and access to, um, to services and to professionals is, Limited. limited. Um, we want to have people be able to like plug in whenever they want. So being able to load things like whether it be through the clinic website or whether it be like a separate website. Um, so deny, designing something um, with online video, like short, short. Um, Got to be short. Yeah. Right. Right. I, like, I totally agree. With very specific, like this is recasting. This is attributing, you know, this this, this is an expansion. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's my thought. That's my thought. Yeah. sounds great. sounds great. Um, and then it'll be posted for like public view or does people sign up to get it? Do you think? So my thought would be that, um, people that come through the training mm-hmm. would then have access and then, um, RICD, which is the initials for where I work, they have experience with doing um, training for for other assessment type things. So I think they would have a mechanism on how to get it out to other um, hospitals, other developmental. So when I say hospital, they're more like developmental centers. Okay. Um, but they're within the, the public health system. Um, so I think training for those um, practitioners and clinicians would be Sounds well. great. Modules, do you get the impression that there'd be like questions you take afterwards and you get earned certificates or something like that? That's that's my thought. Mm-hmm. That's my thought to keep people and, and having that certification. We've done like we've um, been a web host for um, AAC by the Bay. Okay. Uh, by the bridge school, you know, the bridge school. And we've done that um, twice now. So over four years. Um, Wait, tell me more about that. So well, and, and I've heard of the bridge school, right. but but. I'm sure there's listeners that are like, wait, what are they talking about? Okay. So um, the Bridge School um, does a, it's every two years. Um, it's a conference that they um, they webcast. Okay. And so you sign up to be a site to um, host the, the webcast. And then you receive a certificate of attendance. 
Um, and you, we don't attend live, we attend after the fact, but having our, you know, nurses. So we, we, um, use a lot of nurses Mm -hmm. at the Institute and our speech therapists be able to have this certificate, you know, we're not able to travel, um, abroad, but to have that has been nice. Gotcha. Do you find that most people speak English there? Because I know like my, the foreign exchange student that we had Poppy very well versed in English. So the professionals I work with, yes. The fam, I don't. Families, no. No. Mm-hmm. Um, all of my work is in Thai, mm-hmm. and I present in Thai. Uh-huh. So I present what well, we call it Nicole language, Pasa Nicole. So I I present with a Thai Thai partner, but there are things that I've become so used to saying in Thai, like it doesn't make sense if I say it in English and then have them translate it into Thai. So we do this kind of weird thing. So let's talk about that. How did you learn the language? (laughs) Immersion. Uh So my first three years at the school in Bangkok, I was the only foreigner, um, 120 children, 120 students. It was a a day school. So families came and picked their children up in the afternoon. 26 teachers, um, all Thai, two of whom spoke a bit of English. So, um, very much on the job. I had 40 hours of Thai language, like market language, kind of like, where do I want to go? I can eat that. I can't eat that. Mm -hmm. And then I did an additional 40 hours of one-on-one like scripting. I went in with like, I need to say this well, you know? And so someone taught you that you you went into like, I take an actual class. Right. (laughs) Right. So I had a, a Thai language teacher and then, but then so much was just on the job, picking it up, you know, um, and on the streets and my neighborhood, I was the only foreigner. Um, so I was in Bangkok, but I was on the outskirts of Bangkok. There are actually more foreigners in the North in Chiang Mai where I am than, than I encountered in my previous neighborhood. Um, yeah, but it's funny because one of the things that's come up is like maybe two and a half years into being in country, people would say, Oh, you speak so well, you know, not just like you speak, but you speak so well. How long have you been here? Thai people. And I was like, Oh, two years, three years, three years. Oh, only three years. <laughs> and I, I talked with, um, some folks, some of our friends about that once. And I was like, you know, people are like congratulating me. Like you speak so well after only three years and I can't read. I thought, you know, <laughs> yeah. I can't do so much, but I'm thinking like the kids we support, you know, they get a system with nobody using it with them. Not everyone. Right. You know? And like three months, people are like, oh, they can't use they it. They can't use it. Yeah. It took you three years. Right. Yeah. And I'm fairly, you know, intact. And it's just like, yeah. really? It and just seems so Not just so three unfair. years, but three years immersed in it. Right. Yeah. It's, right. Yeah, it's not like um, if I were to learning Thai from my local high school, you know what I mean? Right. Or uh, if I just try to take, you know, Duolingo stuff on my phone. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You're immersed in it. It takes you three years. Right. So three months is nothing. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes it's even, yep, we... We put it in place and they couldn't use it for three days <laughs> sometimes. Right, right. So, um, yeah, that's a great perspective to have, I think. Well, and it's worked with family, you know, so when, when we talk with families, well, when I talk with families about aided language input, you know, I say like, it's like me learning Thai, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't learn Thai because I lived in the U.S. I learned Thai because I live in Thailand. And, you know, for your child to speak with this language system, we need to use it with them. And I wear my words and, you know, we have words all over the place. And then the parents kind of look at me like, oh, yes, like, like you speak Thai. (laughs) Like, exactly. You know, and we're, and I'm saying this in Thai. So that makes it. So 
So being able to speak the language of the families and the language of the children is hugely important. Mm -hmm. I've, I've really seen a difference just in everything, you know, as my language has improved. Um, um, would you say, um, well, we were talking earlier about Thai, and like I said, I know a little bit because of the foreign exchange student that we had, but you had mentioned earlier again when we were chatting before the podcast about how Thai is a very tonal language. Can you explain okay. that a little bit? So there's five tones. Um, so like um, mid, low, high, rising, and falling. So one word, so like, um, so I call it karaoke, so phonetic. <laughs> so for a speech, I'm not a speech language fan. So, um, so like M-A would be like ma. So, but it could be like ma, 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 ma. And those are like different words. So it's like horse, dog, come. And I probably just mispronounced them all. Uh -huh. But um, but you had to, to make them even more distinct. Otherwise I or the listeners would right. not necessarily pick up on the subtle differences of those five right. different tones. Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So how does that... Um, equate to, let's say, a, a voice output device? And, and how frequently do you see voice output devices? So we are fortunate that the same organization, the national, um, so it's called NECTEC for short, the folks that did the research on the, the Thai men speak, they've recently partnered with um, one of the universities, the university that operates the speech language therapy department, um, Mehedon University, and they've created an app. And it's a pretty robust looking app. We've um, just gotten kind of a hold of it within the last four months. So they're making some adjustments, but um, some of the neat things um, are, it does have expansive vocabulary and then, um, and it's, it's got the core vocabulary in there and then it's categorically based as well. But the other thing, um, when we were talking about symbols and iconicity, the symbols were drawn by, um, female prisoners. Okay. <laughs> so the princess, our, um, IT princess has a project within the prison system as well. Wait, when you make, when you say IT, like, like yeah, information technology. technology. Okay. Yeah. And there's so a princess she, for informational technology. So, um, Pratap, um, some that Pratap, um, the, she's the sister of the current king. She was the daughter of the former king who passed away two years ago. Mm -hmm. Poppy was here when that happened. Oh, yes. yeah. It's, yeah, he was well-loved. Well-loved, yeah. Well-loved. Um, and his um, second oldest daughter is just, um, so she's kind of, that's her, 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 um, Moniker title, right, mm -hmm. right. She um, so she's done a lot with like bringing um, computers to rural villages, bringing you know IT. She actually is responsible for kind of the initial AAC coming over and the whole men speak. She was at a conference in Singapore, met an AAC, an, an American AAC user. Um, with uh, she was along with the, with Katya Hill, so Jen Lo was there at in Singapore with Katya Hill. The princess saw this woman using a robust system, a high tech system. Came back and said, "Why don't we have that?" Uh -huh. And um, when the princess says, "Why don't we have that?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so I was going somewhere with that. Oh, so the IT. So she um, has a lot of initiatives with technology and which is helpful. So that helped drive this sort of creation of this app. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. One of the, one of the things, and then there's, um, there's, there's a lot of movement within the, the family network, um, parents of children with autism. Mm -hmm. So it's called autistic tie and they've created, um, an app that's very PEX based, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, you know, electronic and they've actually, um, given free tablets to families, 
But again, implementation. Yeah, yeah. You can have the thing, but unless someone teaches you how to use the thing, right, then what's right. the thing? Yeah. So we did need the things. Yeah. So we have a lot of start there. We Get have that. things, which is wonderful, <laughs> and and we've been fortunate. Um, we've had donations, and then we've had a budget to purchase mid tech devices. So we have a variety of mid tech devices that are kind of used in house, and then some children. The same we might see here in the states, like Go Talks. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that would make a lot of sense to me that if you could program your own voice that might equate to those different tones better than uh, a computerized voice that maybe at least in my brain like uh, I think about text-to-speech you know or a computerized voice that would say you know they would mess up um, the boy read the book you know what I mean well okay I can suss out what that means but because it pronounced it wrong and which should be read the book um, I can imagine it in a language where the tones make a difference than the computerized voice I mean I'm, I'm sure that that would make a difference, right? Well, that and and along so the Google text to speech is much better in Thai than the iOS voice. Uh-huh. So the iOS voice is not so good, okay. and it's and there's only a female voice available. So um, we're able to use apps that allow us to put in. Um, text-to-speech. So we can't use some of the robust apps. We can't even tweak the robust apps because they have acapella uh, voice packages. And um, I mean, we could do digitized, but I don't know who's going to do that. Right. Every, I really rely on the text-to-speech. So um, like we've used cough job mm-hmm. a lot because um, it's you know been easy to, and they've been really good working with us to get things to print out um, because the character system is different as well. Uh-huh. So um, yeah, but but the Android systems and, and Google text to speech because there's also male options. You know, if you're a young man, you don't, you don't want the female want voice. Kanye, Kanye is the <laughs> iOS voice. You really don't want her. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so the voice that's been and then but with the Go Talks, so we can get you know same age peers. You know, we've had teachers' children during summer break. You know, um, one of our speech therapists has a little girl and she's like the little girl voice on a bunch of our go talks. And so that's been good. Yeah, that's cool. And that's the same thing we do here in the States. I've definitely had students record their voice so that they can be the voice of someone else. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, I like to ask the question of what are you as someone who's passionate about AAC working with it for a while? What are you questing after? What's next? What's floating your boat? What are you researching? What are you thinking about? What's on your mind? Right. Mm. <laughs> so it it changes. It changes all the time. Me too. <laughs> it does. It does. I mean, I think we all know the importance of of partner training, mm-hmm. but it's really like, what does that really look? I mean, so we and there are people that have done great work, you know, and these great. But I'm kind of and now that we're really looking at it, I'm like, well, what does it really look like that it can be carried over without a me there, mm-hmm. you know, or, or without someone else there, like. How can the people on the ground really be carrying this out? Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you have the person who already gets it coaching on it, that's great. Mm -hmm. But then that for that coaching to be effective so that others can then like train the trainer yes. type thing. Yes. How do you build capacity so right. that everybody knows it so that when you leave or if you decide right. to leave, it doesn't all fall apart. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. I, I'm on, that's on my, my, my mind too, you know, like, uh, how do you make it sustainable? And I feel like we're getting there. I mean, we've, you think about all the steps we've taken and the way you've described, right? You, you, you start with, with nothing and then you move to, to a place where you have these modules that might be coming out. And so it seems like it's just a, a great thing coming up, coming up soon. 
It's exciting. It is. It's exciting. And it's exciting to see, um, people using it themselves, you know, when to walk on like the inpatient unit and nurses are wearing, you know, core boards or, or like a little, a little one's crying and the mom's saying like, Oh, my chop, like, Oh, you don't like it. Mm. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. I can like die now. now I yes. <laughs> but you know, it's just like, that's, you know, or, um, having a physician comment about a child, you know, Oh, she's so bright. You know, not, not, oh, she understands, because we get that, you know, like, well, yeah, they understood the whole time, you know, but just recognizing or having someone come to you and say, like, oh, like, can you meet this, this kid? I think they can do that thing, you know, so, yeah. so good things are happening. It's so exciting. It is. Yeah. It is. So if people had questions and they wanted to reach out to you or they wanted to look up what you're doing, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Right. So I have email. Mm -hmm. So my email um, is AAC the number four, and then Thai, T-H-A-I, at gmail.com. Um, our website, maybe we could link it in the show notes. Definitely. Um, it would be in Thai, but it's <laughs> nice to look at. And that was really important to me. I had, at one point, kind of created a, a page of my work or whatever. Like a Facebook page or something. Right, but then I was like, no, like, really the time needs to be spent on creating resources for the people I'm, you know, working with. Uh -huh. But but we appreciate and are so appreciative. I mean, I was talking to you earlier about the international AAC community has just been so generous, you know, with time, with, you know, permission to translate. We always credit people. So if you get a, an email asking for permission to translate, you will be credited. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we're just really grateful for all the work that people have done before because cool. it's nothing new. All right. Well, you heard it here. Reach out, learn Thai. <laughs> Just look up the Come website. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thanks so much for being on the podcast. We've been, we've been emailed many times about trying to schedule something like this. Mm -hmm. The time zones can be difficult. So the fact that you traveled all the way here just for this, exactly. just for this podcast. <laughs> thank you. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.